Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. Happy New Year, and what is up, Dolphins fans? And welcome into the Wednesday, January, the first edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, even into 2020, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's a new year, and we're starting off with some big-time changes for your Miami Dolphins. We'll have to bump some more content to tomorrow, as today, we're reviewing the All-22 from the Finns improbable win in Fox. Foxborough, and we already have our replacement offensive coordinator. Chan Gailey is the new play caller. We'll go in-depth on what that means, and if we have time, Stephen Ross speaks via the official team website at MiamiDolphins.com. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Tuned In, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and keep us in the top 200 on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The number one follow on Dolphins Twitter. Voted by Dolphins Twitter. You can follow the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. Jason Harina wrote up a great piece describing the in-depth career of Chan Gailey prior to his hiring here in Miami. So the Dolphins acted immediately in finding the replacement for dismissed offensive coordinator Chad O'Shea, who was fired on Black Monday from his position, and they bring in a familiar face in Chan Gailey. Gailey has been retired for the last three seasons, and his last year coaching was as the offensive coordinator for the New York Jets and for Ryan Fitzpatrick's most successful year in terms of winning and his highest touchdown season. His efficiency stats were not great because of some huge interception numbers that year, but he threw 31 touchdown passes. And I found this article on the New York New York Post rather that talked about the flexibility of Chan Gailey's scheme and that his attacks vary based upon the opponent across from. The them. This quote from Dan Reeves, recall that name from way back when, quote, Chan has always done a great job of coaching the personnel that he's got instead of forcing a system on his personnel. That's why you can't peg him. He's so versatile and very adaptable, end quote. This move is starting to make some sense, isn't it? And we have some sound from current Dolphins quarterback and the quarterback of the Jets in 2015 when Chan Gailey was there in New York. Well, it's a fun offense to be in. It's one that he does a great job of highlighting his talent, you know, and and we've got some talented receivers here. We've got some talented guys in the backfield, and, you know, I think we're still trying to figure everything out, you know, because he's new just as I am to to all the different personnels. But uh, he does a great job of utilizing a team's strengths and putting them in the best possible situation to win. And that sounds funny because you would think everybody does that, but he just – he's got a knack for uh, finding ways to get – your players the ball. And before he was in New York, Chan Gilly was in Buffalo as the head coach, once again with Ryan Fitzpatrick from 2010 to 2012, and that's where we really saw Gailey adapt his scheme to fit his personnel. The Dolphins were a, or the Dolphins, the Bills that year were a spread attack that ran a lot of 10 personnel with four wide receiver sets, but they were also able to run the football out of that package, and it's not so much about four receivers. The Dolphins can mimic a four wide look with a guy like Mike Gesicki, who's just a super 
souped-up receiver with the Jets after his career with Buffalo. Gailey was in three wide sets, mostly 11 personnel, 86% of the time, and nearly half of that, 46%, was in four wide. And going back to his time with the Bills, those numbers were almost identical as well. That comes in from Mike Clay. And Fitzmagic was really born in Buffalo as Fitz ran for over 820 yards in those four years with the Bills on 175 rushing attempts. And that continued with Gailey in New York as Fitz added 400 more yards in those two seasons on the ground with the New York Jets, and Gailey's stint prior to Buffalo was in Kansas City, where he found some offensive success for a team who finished 2-14 with Tyler Thigpen. Remember him? They utilized a variety of packages to find success on that 2-14 team, but they could score, they just couldn't stop anybody. There were elements of the read option and design quarterback run game in that system with Tyler Thigpen, who piled up 368 rushing yards and three touchdowns on the ground in 11 games that season, and that rounds out his run as an NFL coach back to his days at Georgia Tech where he was the head coach in college since he left Georgia Tech and this comes in from Kevin Dern at KevinMD4 on Twitter Gailey rushing offenses from Kansas City Buffalo and the Jets average 118 yards per game on the ground a much better mark than Miami 72 and a half yards on the ground per game this season and we recall back to training camp when the Dolphins ran the ball they ran the ball and they ran it some more they want to be a running team a quote from Adam B of the Miami Herald. Hey, if you like to watch running games, come on out to Dolphins training camp. They want a 21 personnel classic set that can utilize the fullback to run the football down teams' throats, but also the spacing and skill on the outside to spread teams out and really stretch their depth and versatility as a defense. If you don't have that versatility on defense, you're going to have a hard time keeping up with this Dolphins offensive attack, and they are equipped to do the former with Parker, Williams, Wilson, Grant, Hearns, and Ford all have proven their worth in this offense, and Miami can legitimately justify playing all six of those guys quite often next year with a quality rotation, except just don't take Devontae Parker off the field ever after what he did this season. But before Georgia Tech, Gailey was the head coach of the Cowboys, and before that, he was the offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh, where he created a specific package to get Slash, Cordell Stewart, to become a thing in the league. They named Cordell Stewart's nickname after the package, the Slash Package, and he took that very unconventional offense, which is modern today, but definitely not in the 90s, and had them within four points of a Super Bowl berth. From that New York Post article about Gailey's versatility with the Steelers, Quote, Gailey's creativity as a play caller is also proven. As Pittsburgh's wide receiver coach in 1995, he came up with the slash package for Cordell Stewart, part-time quarterback, running back, and receiver. And of course, they almost went to the Super Bowl two years later with Stewart as their starting quarterback. He had some more college stops in Samford, not Stanford, and his first ever head coaching job at Air Force where they ran the triple option. So Gailey has virtually seen every type of offense imaginable in football, both modern, both old school, everything in between. The Dolphins will be adaptable week to week. And if the game plan calls for 25 snaps from the fullback and 40 running plays, they'll do that. If they have to spread it out and throw the pill 50 times, they're going to do that. When Gailey was in Miami, he engineered the eighth best scoring offense in football with Jay Fiedler at the helm. He got Lamar Smith to pile up 2,000 rushing yards in two seasons cumulatively, and Smith had just 2,000 yards total over the other eight years of his career, according to sharpfootball.com, and the first year he did this was Gailey's last year in New York in 2016, so Warren Sharp going back to 2016. The personnel groupings went 50% 11 personnel, so half the time they were in one back, one tight end, three receivers, 
22% 12 personnel. That's one back, two tight ends, two receivers. And recall how much more 12 personnel we saw down the stretch this season with Miami. And that year in 2016, Gailey called 20% 10 personnel. That's one back, zero tight ends, four receivers. But again, that could be used with Mike Gesicki as well. The bottom line is this, versatility, versatility, versatility. As far as what this means for the Dolphins' selection of a quarterback in this year's class, I think Jordan Love makes a ton of sense. He has the tools and skill set to operate the quick strike game that the spread offense requires and presents for your quarterback, but he's also more than adept in the designed run game, the play action game, the zone read game, some boot action, and all the stuff you can see from 21 personnel packages or run the ball from shotgun, not to mention the designed run packages Gailey had for Thig pin in 2008 and even more so with Cordell Stewart back in those 90s. I'll go back to the comments I've referred to time and time again both from Flores and Greer at the 2019 Scouting Combine Media Availabilities. Both of them talked about accuracy, leadership, and mobility as traits they covet. Mobility. This team was linked to Tyrod Taylor. I know Teddy Bridgewater isn't a super athlete, but he's better than most traditional pocket passers. And if the idea that Chad O'Shea was responsible for the Josh Rosen trade is true, then it makes sense that the philosophical difference was tangible there. And we know that last year, Flores floated the names Cliff Kingsbury and Greg Rowe as potential hires at offensive coordinator, but they both went on to work other jobs, one with Lamar Jackson and the other with Kyler Murray mobility. Back to Jordan Love, I can tell you this, Miami likes him. Hell, the entire scouting world loves this guy because of the physical traits. Love behind Fitzpatrick and this scheme, these teaching points to me makes so, 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 so much sense. And if we could get Isaiah Simmons somehow as well, which that would have to be via a trade down, then, oh boy, your boy's going to be pumped about the offseason. What this means for the rest of the staff, I think it's pretty clear they'll elevate Jerry Shaplinski in some form or fashion. My guess is that Gailey is the senior offensive coordinator of sorts with Shaplinski getting elevated maybe to the passing game coordinator role. Maybe it's as a co-OC, but I think the contingency plan here is in place. Chan Gailey is 68 years old, has a world of experience, and to lure him out of retirement one day after After the O'Shea firing, this was definitely already in the works. And the last connection on the staff is Carl Durrell, the receiver coach, who had a fantastic year this year. He spent 2015 with the Jets and with Chan Gailey. And also, I think CK Parrott, Chris Kaufman on Twitter mentioned the idea of bringing Mark Colombo in as the offensive line coach. Colombo played for Gailey in the 90s and should be released from his current coaching contract with the Cowboys literally any minute now. And one last note here before we go. Go to the next topic. We are way over time, and this is related to Brian Flores and comes in from Kevin Dern. Also, the Dolphins beat the last two Super Bowl champions this season. How great is that? I'm going to dive more into Chan Gailey's film from the Bills and Jets as Game Pass goes back to 2012, so we'll have plenty to look at there, but I don't want to rush this, and since it's all 22 day for the Dolphins and Patriots game, we'll cover some more of Gailey's offensive concepts on tomorrow's show, but let's get back to the game Sunday and do that next with the all 22 review here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. The 
final All-22 review of 2019 coming to you this on New Year's Day. 2020 is officially upon us. The next phase of the Dolphins rebuild is upon us. But first, we go back to Week 17, Dolphins 27, Patriots 24. Miami finishes the season 5-11. and 11, And we start, as we always do, on the offensive side of the ball. And Ryan Fitzpatrick made most of his money after a stint with the Buffalo Bills and playing under the guidance of Chan Gailey. And if you are a regular listener of this show, you know by now that I'm a huge fan of Ryan Fitzpatrick's work this season. I don't think the gunslinger application applies to Ryan Fitzpatrick at all. I don't think that defines who he is at this stage of his career. He's throwing the football to spots based on the coverage, but more importantly, the leverage of the defender that he's attacking. It's so impressive. It's been impressive for the better part of two months. He's absolutely been surgeon-like in beating teams with his preparation work and getting the football out before the defense has time to locate and react to the route concepts. The Patriots love to turn their back to the quarterback. They love to wall off crossers and bracket players and that means you're going to have guys basically standing with their back to the quarterback or turn sideways so they can wall off and reroute that way but Fitzpatrick would just read those players backs and just let it rip based upon the coverage they did it against Devontae Parker up against Stephon Gilmore over and over again and in the middle of the field to Albert Wilson Isaiah Ford all those slot receivers it's super super impressive then the scrambles and off script stuff are all just the cherry on top I mean, his ability to completely erase free rushers is just absurd. He's 37 years old, and Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, he is not yet pretty much playing without a left tackle because Davenport is so confused by just about every single rush scheme the Patriots throw his way, Fitz is able to mitigate the immediate pressure that comes in on him every single play, it seems like, and still makes plays. We go back to last season when Ryan Fitzpatrick had a 9.6 yards per attempt and he had a 6.9 touchdown rate, but that also comes with a 4.9% interception rate. And the offense called for a lot more vertical work in that system with Todd Monken, Mike Evans, and Deshaun. Jackson and Chris Godwin going down the field, but he's efficiently picking his spots to attack deep in this offense. In fact, the 2.6% interception rate was the second lowest of his career this season. In the last two seasons, he has posted career highs in completion percentage, yards per attempt, passer rating, rushing touchdowns, his second highest rushing total, and he was just one-tenth of a point away from a career low in interception rate. I have no problem going into next season claiming that Ryan Fitzpatrick can be one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the league. I mean that. He played so, so well this year, and this game in particular, this is one of the best quarterback performances we've seen from a Dolphin since Dan Marino was here. The stats don't say so, but the film certainly does. He was exceptional. To me, it was the best road game performance since Chad Pennington in that Jets finale back in 2008. During the final nine games this year, these are Ryan Fitzpatrick's numbers, and they don't pop off as much as you think they would, but consider the circumstances he dealt with, with pressure immediately, pretty much every other snap he faced. Nine games to finish out the season. Dolphins went 5-4. and four. He was 228 for 363. That's a 62.8% completion percentage. He threw for 2,622 yards. That's good for a 7.22 YPA. Again, had to pass the ball over and over again because they are one-dimensional. 15 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, 194 rushing yards, 3 rushing touchdowns, and a passer rating of 91.4. Again, 
It doesn't sound that absurd, but when you consider the fact he had no rushing game and had pressure in his face all the time, more than any other quarterback in the NFL, it's flat out remarkable. I've got some segments in the hopper for this week. One of them is hot takes for next season, and I'll give you one of those hot takes right now. If Fitzpatrick plays like he did this year in 2020 next season, the Dolphins will be a playoff team. With all the talent they're going to add this offseason, Fitzpatrick's performance was better than a few of the guys that are playing football in January right now, including the one he just beat on Sunday, and I'm fully confident they can build this offense around him effectively and build and groom a rookie behind him. As far as the rest of the offense, look, the O-line on the left side was a problem all year long. That did not change in this one. There were some moments for Michael Dieter, but he's got to learn how to stick to his blocks. He's pretty damn good at the double teams at the point of attack, and usually he's in position to wall off at the second level attacking the linebackers, but he's just not executing. I still think he's got room for growth, but I would not presume him as a starter going into next season. Julian Davenport, to me, I hate to say this, but he's not even a fit to be the swing tackle next year. He's blocking air or on the ground more times than he's not. Daniel Kilgore has some moments, but he gives way to power way too easily. I think Calhoun looks largely lost out there, and Jesse Davis's struggles are all the same. Just speed rushes. He does good to displace guys from the gaps they're working in against the running game, and that working inside towards the interior of the offensive line most times probably comes from his experience playing the guard position, and he did get a lot better in pass protection down the stretch this year, but he still gives up the edge to speed a bit too easily. That's going to be his area of focus in the offseason. At tight end, Mike Gesicki is so much better at getting off press this year. That has been the difference for him in his game. Isaiah Ford, really good at beating press. I counted four times where he shook press coverage off the line of scrimmage, off the snap, and made a contested catch on a catch-rock throw where the quarterback catches the snap, rocks, throws the ball immediately. Ford uncovers quickly. That'll suit him well in this offense going forward. They went after Devontae Parker on Stephon Gilmore, and he paid them off big time. Yes, he's making some big plays on 50-50 balls, but he's also winning with route running. He's really good at widening the corner and knowing exactly when to stick his foot in the ground and cross face, and he lived in Stephon Gilmore's blind spot this entire game. Check out the video thread. There's some great looks at Parker just destroying Gilmore with route running and also, of course, the big rebounds over the top of him. I've got nothing on the running backs for this game. To me, guys, I hate to say it, but I think Patrick Laird is just a jag. We'll see more about him in year number two, but the pass protection is not there. There is just pretty much no explosiveness to his game. That Christian McCaffrey comparison we read the offseason That was a bit much, I think. Two things that I do hope are systemic and not a Chad O'Shea thing in this offense, which I would say with probably about 90% certainty that they are in fact systemic, are this. Number one, throwing from run formations. And we talked about that with 12 personnel throughout the last five or six weeks. But the Dolphins went 11 heavy personnel. Again, that's one back, one tight end, three receivers, and an extra offensive lineman on the field. And using play action, they still find a way to influence the defense and the linebackers in particular with play action just because of the formation and the assignments that brings into the formation. Even though they're one of the worst run games of all time, they find a way to influence because of their formation 
formational use and going against the grain with the play calls from those formations. And number two is the play sequencing. Miami used short motion to stack. And what that means, you have two guys at the same side of the field. They line up in the one and two positions, which means, of course, your one's the furthest split. Your two is the next split inside. And they'll motion that one down close into the two to stack them. And that gives them more free access, more of a free release to get into the second level. That creates matchups and that free access. And they would then adjust based upon what the Patriots show them throughout the game and put plays in to attack the things the Patriots showed the same look earlier in the game. That's play sequencing. They did that throughout the season. And again, we think that Jerry Shaplinski might have had more to do with that. And I think he was more involved in this game and probably in recent games than we were led to believe with Chad O'Shea and the Dolphins' entire operation remaining mostly tight-lipped. We haven't had nearly the leaks this year or the information getting out. But Shaplinski was the one having conversations with Fitzpatrick in between series. And the quick move to hire Chan Gailey had has to mean this was in the works for a while. It's really, really impressive stuff. This team, if they just get two more quality linemen and some backs, they can really take advantage of some of the stuff they open up through design, both in the passing game and in the running game. To me, this could be a top half of the league offense, maybe even top 10. And I think the running back position will be a focus point of the offseason in the draft. Let's go ahead and go get J.K. Dobbins or Travis Etienne or Zach Moss or Chuba Hubbard or Cam Akers or Jonathan Taylor. I think any of those guys will take this offense to the next level. All right, we're going to come back on the other side and do the defense next here on the All-22 Review, the last one of the season. Dolphins beat the Patriots 27-24. All that next here, Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. the offensive side of the ball, we showed you Ryan Fitzpatrick outwitting Bill Belichick in his rush schemes on that defensive side. And on the other side, Brian Flores really outcoached Josh McDaniels and got the best of all-time great quarterback Tom Brady shutting down his passing game in New England. Boy, what a bunch of fun that was to watch the All-22, our final All-22 installment of the year. We'll have more to come for you guys this offseason, taking a look at Chan Gailey's offensive system, plenty of these new players, and what they could mean to the Dolphins' offense and defense. But to get back to the Patriots game, the structure of the defense, once again, is the story of the day. They bracketed inside the numbers all game long and four the 42-year-old arm of Tom Brady to try to win this game with vertical shots down the perimeter and he just did not have that in him even with a lacking run defense and some of those big plays that came via the screen game and that flare to a linebacker playing fullback that goes for a touchdown make the damn tackle Adrian Colbert the Dolphins shut down the Patriots bread and butter offense for most of the game. It's even more impressive when you consider what's on the field. Nate Brooks got here just a couple of weeks ago. Tay Hayes, same story. And we'll start with Hayes as well as Nick Needham, who's been here all year, but he always just finds his way into the correct position on the defensive structure. And you can tell that he puts in the work and really, really absorbs the game plan every week. Hell, they all do, but him especially. And that should have been obvious when he earned first team work way back in training camp in the preseason and after that difficult start he had in the preseason he just got better and better as the year went along he'll be part of the plans next year no doubt about that 
And then we talk about Tay Hayes, who has allowed three catches on 16 targets in his two games with the Dolphins. He's pretty impressive, has very smooth hips, can transfer his weight, stop on a dime and get that weight transfer going the other direction pretty seamlessly. I thought he made two plays that equally exhibited his ability, both in terms of the physical nature of the game and the mental side of the game. First, the physical, a curl route to the boundary. He's stuck in the short side of the field in a one-on-one situation. He holds ground at the top of the route, doesn't allow the receiver to get on top of him and go vertical and then he drives out of the back pedal when the receiver breaks it back down the stem for the curl and puts his hand between the hands of the receiver and separates the football at the catch point that is textbook how you coach it how you teach it I think my favorite thing about these newcomers is the confidence they display on a down in and down out basis they like to talk and that is fun to watch as far as his mental aptitude in this game I talked about it on Sunday I think probably on the podcast to recap the game initially, but there's a corner route in the red zone where he has to recognize the slot receiver going to the back pylon on that flag route and he runs underneath it. You'll see him start to turn and run to the spot before the receiver does because he recognizes the route combination and he knows his outside leverage is the play since he has inside help. Great work, Tay Hayes. And Eric Rowe had one hell of a game in this one. The safety slash cornerback slash does everything. He's winning more and more with his preparation work and that was was especially evident on the tackle he made on a third and three flat route to Muhammad Sanu. He's covering a receiver on this play, going across the formation and motion in man coverage after most of his work the last couple of months has been up against tight ends and running backs. He runs over the top of a pick on that play, squares up Sanu, makes the big stick, gets the defense off the field in a huge, huge spot. The pick six was awesome and definitely his best play of the year in terms of production, but that was more about Tom Brady kind of just being doo-doo at this stage of his career. Now, Andrew Van Ginkle had one hell of a ball game to close out his rookie season. The first video in the thread up on my timeline at Wingfield NFL is a two-play sequence. He recognizes the play formation, the alignment, three by one, three receivers into the boundary, one receiver split out wide to the field, so he knows any route coming his direction as he's lined up to the field, the deeper part of the field. He has to gain depth because the route coming his direction is only going to come from the backside on a crossing route and with the play action into the short side of the field and Brady showing boot action going back the other direction he knows from there he has to gain depth and get behind the crossing route so he can close down on it and make a tackle he does exactly that doesn't get impatient and go after the quarterback he finds his landmark gets there drives on the play makes the tackle two yards short of the sticks and makes it third and two and then on the next play they try a crack black crack back block that's hard to say a crack back block on Van Ginkle with a receiver and he just nails Nikhil Harry, forces him backwards right into the ball carrier, which forces the ball carrier to bubble, and what that means is the ball carrier works backwards. You never want to do that as a tailback or a fly sweep guy. Either way, if you bubble, that's bad. Van Ginkle makes him bubble, and we knew that Van Ginkle could cover, and we knew he could win with quickness, and he did that, but he also took on blocks better in this game than I think he ever has. What a great sign for him going into the next season, and we saw that in training camp early on the preseason. I think Van Ginkle's going to be a hit for this defense. 
Now, the guy that made the play when Van Ginkle drilled the crackback block into the backfield was Devon Godshaw. He comes in there and cleans it up as he just whips Ted Karras inside with a quick move. He had a few of those reps in this game. We know about Devon Godshaw's power, but he won with quickness a few times in this game in his own right. The best play was a TFL. He's lined up as a three technique off the outside shoulder of the guard, and that guard pulls to the play side and Godshaw just chases him right off of his back and he takes him right to the ball carrier and Godshaw makes the play. Another defensive lineman that had a good game, John Jenkins, I thought did well to hold the point. I didn't think this was Christian Wilkins' best game despite the fact that he got the best grade on Pro Football Focus. At linebacker, I thought Jerome Baker had a really bad game, missed a key tackle in a big spot, got caught inside a few times and his rushes as a pass rusher are largely ineffective for the most part. Calvin Munson does well in the Raekwon McMillan role most of the time, but he's just not spectacular, doesn't arrive with the same force. He plays the game hard and definitely has a high motor, but I'm looking forward to get number 52 back in this defense next year. Trent Harris's sack in this game, I thought, was probably the best pass rush move we've seen from a Dolphins defender all year long. The way he got upfield on Marcus Cannon, the Patriots' right tackle, and then used his outside arm to stab the outside arm of Marcus Cannon because as a tackle, you want to get that outside arm on the upfield rushing shoulder of the pass rusher and thwart them from going around the arc and bending the edge, getting to the quarterback and Harris to go ahead and negate that outside stab uses his own stab to put the, to pin the outside arm of Marcus Cannon into his body and then uses the inside arm to rip underneath a great looking pass rush move. Go check it out on the thread on my timeline. But again, the structure of the defense was the most impressive part of this game for the Dolphins. And so was Miami's desire to fly to the football. I showed you a video on on Twitter of this third and 15 towards the end of the game, a quick pass to the outside, well short of the sticks. Every single man on the Dolphins defense turned and sprinted to the football, even the far side cornerback, which does not happen in the NFL. Guys can take those plays off all 11 fly to the ball. It's a thing of beauty to watch. And guys, that is it. That's it for the film review. I'm going to have some Chan Gailey stuff in the coming days and weeks. We still got the end of the season awards. I'm going to update the whiteboard and talk about that here in the near future. The content never sleeps. Enjoy your new year. Enjoy the hangover. Enjoy the football games today. And we're going to go ahead and get out of here for the last time of the year, or I guess by the time you hear this for the first time of the year, as that is my time for this final podcast. We did 1.6 million downloads this year, and we had our highest month in December and our highest day on Sunday in the recap article and podcast. So thank you all so, so much for the support all year all year long. It's been the best year of my life. I appreciate you guys from here to forever. But you all, please be sure in the meantime to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Thank you.